See, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, the word disciple, you've heard me say it, means student. And Jesus, in this part of the story, is praying for his students, his disciples. And this is John 17. It's sometimes called the final discourse. It's all the things he wanted to say to them that they remembered that he said to them on the night that he was arrested. And so he prayed for them to God. And he included in that prayer an appeal to God on behalf of, well, to just put it bluntly, to pray for us, for all of you. Did you hear he said, I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, those apostles. And we are an apostolic church. And did you hear what he chiefly asked for, among other things? He said that they... They all may be one. They all may be one. Now, Jesus saying that makes me wonder how disappointed Jesus may be in all of us. And by that, I mean the different expressions and manifestations of Christian community and spirituality that exist in the world. I wonder if he is disappointed in us. And it also makes me wonder if there are prayers that Jesus makes that, like us, sometimes seem to remain unanswered, or at least not answered in the ways that we think Jesus and God would be willing to answer. Every year in chapel at Cassidy, in the wake of both Christmas and Easter, I have to, I think, I'm not sure the students care, but I have to find a way to convey to them that our Orthodox Christian students, and there are many from both St. George's Orthodox Church and St. Elijah's Antiochian Orthodox Church, that those students celebrate both Christmas and Easter like a week later than most people do in the Western Church. Did you know that? So uh, December 25th for us, and then it's January 6th for them, and then Easter is about a week later. And I'll confess that the reason why is so complicated that I have to relearn it every year and then, as I often do, distill it down to a form that the students can possibly digest. I do that often, making the complex digestible. And that's just the schism between the Eastern Orthodox expressions of Christianity and the Catholic branches, not to mention the Protestant Reformation, which created all these different sort of branches of division befuddling schisms when I teach confirmation. Right, Henry? We do a day where we talk about the Episcopal denomination and where it fits in that complex web of Christian communities just being formed and splitting off from each other. And yet, despite the very real doctrinal and pragmatic differences, I've always suspected that most Christians across those divides still hold some sense of spiritual unity among us. It's sometimes called a spiritual unity rather than an actual pragmatic one. 
We know that we don't understand and practice Christianity the same ways as other people, but we hold Jesus in common. And I want to say today that I, I think it's more important that we understand that Jesus holds us in common. So maybe this prayer of Jesus is asking that we all be one, both those who were in the room earlier and, and those of us who've come from that tradition Maybe that request is still manifesting, still unfolding. Uvalde, Texas. We need to say it today, don't we? We need to mention this thing that has happened in our expanded community. This past Wednesday, when it had become known, uh, we at Cassidy were in our last three days of school those are different days. Lots of watching of movies, lots of playing of games, lots of excitement about the summer that's coming. Wednesday it was raining, and so there was an added excitement to that already. When it rains, the middle schoolers don't walk over to chapel. If it's just spitting, they'll come over. But when it's raining, then we'll often hold chapel in the lobby, and I'll come over in my, my mud and boots, with my guitar, and we'll play some movement, silly, fun songs. It's kind of a tradition, and it's raining, so it all sort of fits. But when events like Uvalde happen, then I have to make a decision on whether or not to mention it in chapel. It makes sense to mention it in chapel, to say it like we're saying it here. We want to huddle together as a community around tragedy, but we also are careful about what we expose our children to. Some parents share this information with their kids, and some do not. So, especially for the lower grades, for the preschool and the elementary school kids, that's through fourth grade at our school, a lot of times we won't say anything. And I've let teachers know that that's intentional. Now, for those ages, we tend to withhold and trust the parents to share that information for the high school, we say it, and we, we pray together, we grieve together, and we try to make sense of it together. But with junior high, at our school, that's ages 10 to 13. It's ages 10. And that was the age that those students in Uvalde were. So do we say anything? It's like contributing to the loss of their innocence when we do it. And I feel that. Jesus said it would be better for a giant millstone to be tied around your neck and be thrown into the great sea, the Mediterranean Sea, than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. And so I think about those words. So 19 children, 19 10-year-olds, senselessly murdered, by a young man who is sick, who is broken, who with two AR-15 semi-automatic rifles that he purchased days earlier, days in the wake of his 18th birthday, that same young man who two years earlier, if he wanted to, to drive a car, would be required to pass a written test that would then be followed by at least a year of supervised practice and then take another two more tests, 
one that's written again and one that's pragmatic, followed by a period of a year with required restricted guidelines for driving. And he would be required to do this because cars are deadly. And if you don't know that as a driver going into your, your existence as a driver, then you are deadly. But to purchase two deadly weapons of war, he was required to do exactly nothing. And the families of those 19 children and those two teachers and his own grandmother, as well as all the people in that community and in that school, will be affected forever. Now, I want to be clear in what I say next because it's complicated and I don't have time to distill it. But I'm not a Christian nationalist. And some of you sort of know what that is and some may not. I am not a Christian nationalist. I'm not someone who wants to conflate my love for my country with my love for my creator. I love Jesus to the depths of my beings. Some days I think too much. And I love being an American. But I'm careful never to conflate the two. Being Christian absolutely transcends any nationality, as well as all the plethora of categories and ways that we identify ourselves. But when I hear Jesus' prayer on our behalf, on our behalf, that we would all be one, I can't help but start to do some of that conflating, starting to wish. I think about our divided nation so divided that when we are periodically and regularly confronted with this particular kind of awfulness, this tragedy, the, where we all agree that it needs a solution, that we seem to fail in working together in the ways that we need. Our bishop, Polson Reed, said this the other day. It was on Thursday. He posted from the diocesan Center and on social media, he wrote this. He said, sometimes people wonder why I promote so often and so urgently praying the daily office. There are many reasons, but one is that I lean on those prayers and readings of Holy Scripture when times are difficult. And today, this is Thursday, today I despair over our political system that actively encourages extremism and discourages working together across difference for common sense solutions. And he continues, as a centrist, I am beyond frustrated that on guns and so many critical issues, our political leaders are unwilling to come together in even the most modest of ways. But I find comfort in the morning reading today for Ascension, Thursday, from the book of Daniel that points to God's kingdom that is coming, which we cannot bring about ourselves, but can point to and emulate I saw one who is like a human being coming with the clouds of heaven. Again, I don't, I don't think Jesus, had his prayer in John 17, I don't think that's about American political unity. But I'm confident that Jesus is mourning with us the slaughter of those beautiful children and is praying for us even now, 
wherever we might be on whatever spectrum, that we might find just some of that unity that we seem to resist. And in the collect for the week that we prayed today at the beginning, it's the prayer for strength, the strength that we need to do hard things. There's a fraction hymn that is in our hymnal that I often sing in the communion that we do at school, and sometimes I sneak it in over in the spoken service. It's uh, S number 171, and it, it goes like this. Be done to us, Lord Jesus, in the breaking of the bread. You want to try it? Be known to us, Lord Jesus, in the breaking of the bread. One body are we. Alleluia. For though many we share one bread. Be known to 